0: You know what? We all know that we need change in our world. We need change in our country. There's so much immorality, so much corruption, so much violence, so much hatred. We need real change. We know there's a need for revival, for renewal. Amen. Y'all don't want to have the preacher to have to amen himself, right? Y'all help me out here. But we need that, right? We need that renewal. We need revival. There's so many that have either turned away from God altogether or that have become complacent and lukewarm. We need change. And I want you to know something that Jesus' church is the key. He has chosen, He has chosen to work in and through His church. We are his change agents in the world. He's going to use his church to change the world. The church has been empowered with the Holy Spirit. And he says this about his church. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. Not even the gates of hell can prevail against the church. So don't underestimate the church of Jesus We can change the world. The church that changes the world is a praying church. Prayer is how we bring God's power into this world. That's the way, that's the way it happens. That life-changing power, it comes because people pray. We don't understand, we may not know why God has chosen to work this way, but this is the way the sovereign God of the universe has chosen to work, is that when people pray in faith, He moves. He answers when we pray. It's amazing how much time we try other things. We, we try to change things other ways instead of prayer, methods that don't work. The number one method that people try uh, to use to change things is to complain this is the one that a lot of people do every single day of their life and a lot of people do it all day long but they talk about what they don't like they talk about everything that's wrong in the world and they go on and on and on about it and post on facebook about it and on and on and on i want to tell you It's the number one way that people try to change things that doesn't work. At least you won't change it for the better. How about that? So many things we can complain about. We can complain about the economy. We can complain about taxes, gas prices. We can complain about the government. We can complain about politicians. We can complain about schools. We can complain about everything but it won't change it. We can talk about it and talk about it. It won't change it. But prayer changes things. All around the world, there's wars and violence, terrorism, rioting, genocide. We can talk about it and talk about it. It won't change it, but prayer can. We need to pray and believe God to change our world. Jesus said we're to pray like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to tell you what's going on in this world is a lot different than what's going on in heaven. Jesus said to pray his kingdom, his rule and reign would come in this world and his will would be done as it is in heaven. What you see in this world is not God's will. See, a lot of people blame God for all kinds of things that are the will of man and the works of Satan. We got to pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. It is not automatic. It happens when people pray in faith. But prayer is how the church Changes the world. We won't do it without prayer. All of our efforts, doesn't matter how much we talk, how much we try, nothing will work unless we pray. You know, I think with all of the terrible things that go on in our world, sometimes we just feel helpless, like there's nothing we could do. And some people just kind of accept People just accept things as they are, but I want you to know that doesn't please the Lord. He wants us to be a people of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So even when we feel helpless you know, about the, the state, the spiritual state of our country, we need to pray. Because our God is not helpless. You know, trying to fix any of these kinds of issues is like trying to move a mountain with a shovel. It's just never going to happen. But Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty two through 24, he says, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. There is great power in prayer. And Jesus starts this paragraph here with this statement. Have faith in God. We need to be believing God. We need to be praying and asking God. I always say, the real reason that people don't pray more is that they don't believe it would matter. Because if we believe it will matter, we'll do it. It takes time and effort and energy to really pray. And I think for us in this microwave society, it's hard for us sometimes to really put in the effort of prayer. I mean, to really seek God. I'm not talking about, you know, that thing they say nowadays, throw up a prayer always makes me think of vomit. I'm not throwing up a prayer. If we're going to pray, let's get serious about it. Let's mean business with God. But when we pray, yes, it's time and effort and energy. But you know what? It's never wasted time and effort and energy. I'll tell you what's wasted time and effort and energy. It's talking about it, but not talking to God. Let's talk to somebody that can do something about it. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about complaining to God. I'm talking about praying, seeking God, bringing your requests to God in faith. See, we pray with thanksgiving. But Jesus makes it so clear that there's great power available, mountain-moving power available to people who pray. Worry won't get it. Complaining won't get it. Fighting with flesh and blood won't get it. Prayer gets God's help, and that's what makes it happen. That's right. We need to do something about our government. Here's what we need to do that's right, pray. Amen. I know other people got all kinds of ideas. Here's what preachers should do. I say should do because it's not what all of them do. Here's what preachers should do. Tell you what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what he's saying? He's saying, we're going to pray for all men. We're going to have prayers and supplications and give thanks for all men. But then he talks about kings and those in authority. And if you know anything about Biblical times, the New Testament church, you know, they didn't have any godly kings. They were all ungodly people. And it was a a horrible time in their government. And yet he's telling them to pray for those, to give thanks, so we can live quiet, peaceable lives. But notice he goes on here and he says... This is good and acceptable in the side of our savior God our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what we need to pray is that we will have a government where we can preach the gospel, share the gospel and we can win people to the Lord. But a lot of people rail against the government. They're mad all the time. They're complaining all the time. Wrong. Pray. Pray. This is how you change things. Pray. Pray. People say, don't waste your vote. Don't waste your right to vote. If you don't vote, it's a sin. It's bad. You're just, what a waste if you didn't vote. Okay, I'm okay with that. I'll tell you what's a much bigger waste. You didn't pray. What a waste. What a waste. I mean, you might vote, and in the millions and millions of votes, you say, well, my vote didn't seem to matter. But your prayer always matters. When you pray in faith, it always matters to God. Such power when we pray. So we pray. Every great revival came through prayer. Not one ever came as a result of politics. They all came through prayer. 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name, it's God's people. I wish everybody prayed. I wish everybody would seek God. I wish everybody would come to the Lord. But the Lord says, if my people, if His people, if His church will pray, if they will humble themselves and pray. I don't want to miss the word humble there. They've got to humble themselves because, you see, we always try everything else. We always, we're always looking for a way that we can get things done. We can make it happen ourselves. No, we've got to humble ourselves and admit to God that we can't do it without His help. We humble ourselves and we pray and seek his face. Turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Oh, such power in prayer. A church that prays can change the world. Just before Jesus left, He told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. He told them that they would receive power to be witnesses of him. And the disciples prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and and the power came. The Holy Spirit came on them in power and they preached the gospel, and thousands were saved. And I'm just telling you, we need God's power, and the way we get God's power is through prayer. That power is available to us if we'll pray. Prayer is how we bind the work of the enemy, prayer is what will change hearts. Prayer is what gets us ready to go to do the Lord's work. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest, send laborers into the field. Whatever we do, we got to pray first. Prayer is what brings the power of God to change. The church that changes the world is a church that shares the good news. In Mark 1 and 1, it says, "...the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God." We call those first four books of the New Testament the Gospels. But I want you to understand what that word means. We've kind of, you know, gospel is an old religious word, but that word gospel was the Greek word that meant good news. In fact, it wasn't really a religious term at the time when the Gospels were written. It was a word that meant good news or a good message. And that day and time, they would send a messenger with a report. You know, now we just click on the TV or look at our phone, and we know what's happening all around the world. But at that time, a messenger would carry news. He would run with a report to other people. And when he came and it was good news, that's what this word gospel was. You need to understand that Jesus Christ coming was good news. It was a good report. It was a good message. And this was his message. It was a good message of good news. Mark 1:14 and 15, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the good news. Most of the modern translations say good news here. Preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe the gospel. Now, he is saying the kingdom has come. He's saying that there are people gonna be healed, people are gonna be set free, lives are gonna be changed. The kingdom has come. But then he says this repent and believe the good news. Listen, Jesus certainly wanted people to turn from their sins, but the word repent here doesn't just mean stop doing bad things. It means to change direction. It means to change your mind and the way you're thinking. And when he says repent and believe the good news, he's telling us we need to believe this good news. And I'm telling you this morning that this good news, this is what will change the world. It will change lives, and that's how you change the world. But it's the gospel, it's the good news that changes lives. Jesus did give some people some bad news. The the religious people of the day, the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, they wanted no part of Jesus or his message, and Jesus gave them some bad news. He said, woe to you. There was some bad news for those people. But get this, to everybody else, every walk of life, every kind of sinner, he had a message of good news. He sent the disciples out to preach good news. Luke 9 6. So they departed and they went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. See, they got good news. Anybody sick, there's good news. You can be healed. Anybody bound, you can be healed. That's good news. Everywhere they went, they were preaching good news. This is the message of the church for the world. Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. This is our message for the world. It is a message of good news. Church, we don't preach bad news. We preach good news. Bad news never got anybody saved. Good news gets people saved. That's what people need to hear is a message that they can believe in good news. You know, the Bible is full of all kinds of good news. But I want to give you the heart of the gospel, this good news, that God loves you and that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the price for your sin so that you could be close to God and live with him for all eternity. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of that good news. And we need to know that. We need to know that that is our message for a lost world, because that is the message that changes lives. Romans 1:16 I'm not ashamed of the gospel the good news of Christ for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes listen it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes the gospel is powerful it is the power of God to salvation you see, that old sinful human condition, it saves them from that. When they hear the gospel and they believe. You know as well as I do, not everybody's going to believe. Not everybody's going to receive that message. Oh, but how many would if we just keep sharing the gospel? This is our message for a lost world. This is how the church can change the world is by preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel with the world to every. Alcoholic, every drug user, every New Ager, every Muslim, every person in a nursing home, everybody, no matter who they are or where they are, we need to share the gospel with them. Jesus said to every creature, every backslidden Christian away from God, we need to tell them good news. God loves you, and he wants you back. He still loves you. He wants you back. Oh, that's good news. He cares about you. He wants to be close to you. I tell you, this good news is life-changing. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Here's our ministry, is bringing people back into a relationship with God. Verse 19, he says, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us The word of reconciliation. This is our message for the world. It's that God wants you back. He wants to be close to you. He wants to reconcile you to himself. And I'm telling you that simple message of the gospel transforms lives. God so loved the world. And get this. He still does. Christian, God loves the world. Not the systems of this world. Not the earth itself. The people of this world. Oh, they're so wicked. They're so bad. They're they're so immoral. God loves the world. And we need to remember this. He still loves them. And we have that message that we've got to get to them. I think it's sad that sometimes Christians talk more about the bad news than they do the good news. Even some preachers, people go to church and they hear all about how bad everything is in our world. I don't need to go to church to hear about how bad everything is. You can get that on any TV, any news station, wherever. I hope that every time you come to this church, you hear some good news. Jesus preached good news. That's what we preach, good news. And we as believers in our everyday life, we need to be telling people good news. Now, I told you the heart of the gospel, the heart of that good news, but I just want to give you a few other little things. You see, as we go out in this world, we encounter all kinds of people going through all kinds of things. People that are all stressed out, anxious they're upset and you tell them about a peace that passes understanding that jesus said my peace i give unto you we you see you you encounter somebody that's down and depressed you start talking to them about the joy of the lord and how god can give them a joy even through the difficult times of life Somebody that's struggling to make ends meet and you tell them about God who is your provider and how he's taking care of you. You, Somebody struggling with their marriage and you give a witness to them of how God helped restore your marriage. See, we've got good news that we need to be telling people all around us. There are people that are messed up, people that are hurting, people that are doing wrong. It's not our place to tell them how Bad they are, and how what you're doing is bad, it's our place to tell them some good news. Amen. There's power in that, life-changing power when we tell the good news of the word of God. Proverbs 12:25 says, "Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Well, if we just had a good word for people, when we come across their path, you're bad. And the things you do are bad. That's not a good word. That's right. You're going to hell. That's not, that's not good news. That's the worst news you could ever get. It might be true, but it's not good news. Here's the good news. God loves you. Amen. He forgives you. He wants a relationship with you. we got to get back to the power of a life-changing gospel. That's right. We've had too much weak, powerless Christianity... Requires little faith, has little trouble being socially acceptable and fitting in with the world. A church that changes the world is a changed church. We can't be like the world and have an impact on the world. We can't just kind of sort of fit in. It's amazing to me how much. Christians and even churches try to just kind of adapt to the world and have a Christian copy of the world. We need to be willing to be different. I'm not talking about weird and kooky and religious. I'm talking about we need to be more like Jesus and less like the world. We need to be willing for people to see that we really are different. There's something about our life that's genuine, something that's life-changing and real. Why would they want what we have if it's just a little dab of religion? Who's got time for that? I'm telling you, if we, if we are on fire for God, it makes a difference in this world. But we got to be willing to let God have his way in our heart and life. In Lee Strobel's book, Inside the Mind of Unchurched Mary and Harry, he says, When I walked into church as a skeptical unbeliever, my hypocrisy antenna was scanning the place for signs that people were just playing church. In fact, I was aggressively on the lookout for phoniness, Opportunism or deception, because I felt that if I could find an excuse for rejecting the church on grounds of hypocrisy, I could feel free to reject Christianity as well. I'm just telling you, they need to see that our faith is real, that our God is real, and that what we have is truly life changing. A lot of people believe in Jesus, but they don't believe that Jesus truly transforms lives. They don't believe that Jesus does miracles. They don't believe that Jesus heals and delivers. They reduce the life-changing power of the gospel just to a little religion. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, it talks about the last days. It says it will be terrible times. And one of the signs of those terrible times is that people will have a form of godliness and yet deny its power. They got a little religion in their life, but there's no power. And I'm telling you, we need for the world to see that what we have is truly life-changing, that we're not just playing church. This isn't just, you know, well, that's nice, that's your faith, and you know, I believe. No, it is something that has totally changed our life. We're not the same anymore. In Matthew five thirteen through 16, Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under, underfoot by men. I don't want to be a good-for-nothing Christian. Right. But salt that has no flavor. I like salt. I try not to put too much on my food, but I like it because it just makes food better. Jesus says here, though, that if that salt doesn't have any flavor, it's worthless. And a Christian that just blends in with the world is worthless. You have no impact. We've got to be changed if we're going to have a changing effect on the world. He goes on and he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, like this, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, we don't blend in. We're like a light, like a city on a hill. People can tell there's something different about our life. And here's how. They see how we live. They see what we do. We're not just like everybody else. We're different. It's the Lord that has changed our lives. And he says, they'll see our light by our good works. See, when we're loving and kind and good to people and we help people, they see our light. A Christian ought to be the first person to step up when somebody's hurting. They see our light when we're living a life without compromise. Don't be, don't be a cool Christian. Oh, you know, I'm just going to be cool. No. Hold to your convictions. I'm not talking about trying to drag anybody else through your knothole. I'm not talking about you judging anybody else. I'm talking about you Hold to your convictions. Have some Christian character because you're shining like a light when you do that. They may not agree with you, but at least they'll respect you. Don't be a cool Christian trying to fit in. We talk to our young people about not giving in to peer pressure and adults do it all the time. Well, you know, we were having this business meeting, and whatever. Yeah, I hear you. you shine. I'm telling you, you, you are a light when you are sensitive to the needs and the hurts of others and you care for others. You show people compassion like Jesus would. That's, that's a light that people see. See, when, in a day where people are so cynical and skeptical about everything, we, we are a light to the world when we are steadfast in our faith no matter what happens, that we keep believing God and trusting God, then we're a light to the world. You know, when, when there's so much sickness around us, and a, a lot of the time, you know, people, people don't know what to do. The doctors don't even know what to do. I want to tell you, you're a light when you talk to people about a Savior who still heals, and you pray for people to be healed. That's being a light. So many ways that we can be a light in this dark world. So much despair and hopelessness. But when you bring hope, when you speak hope to people, you're being a light. Ephesians chapter 5, I want to read verses 1 and 2. We'll begin there. He says, be imitators of God. Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want to tell you, we can't preach the gospel to the world if we're not living a life of love. One of the greatest hindrances to us reaching people with the gospel is when we are not loving If we're going to preach the gospel and share the gospel with people, then we got to live a life of love. It is a great hindrance to the gospel if we don't live the kind of life that represents our Savior. One of the things that we all have heard at times is that lost people call us hypocrites. I'll tell you, they may call us hypocrites no matter how we live, but it ought to be without any basis. We ought to live lives above reproach to the best of our ability. We ought to live a life that brings glory and honor to God. A church that is changed can change the world. If we're still like the world, we're never going to have a real impact on this world. Ephesians 5, going on to verse 3, he says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral or impure or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. There's such a great deception in our world and in church culture today that it doesn't really matter how you live. Is this the same pastor that a few minutes ago was just talking about how God loves us and everything? hear me now? Our message to the lost world is that God loves them and He forgives them. But hear this, church. He washes and cleanses His church. He uses the washing of the water of the Word to prepare His bride. He's still working on us. He's still cleaning us up. And it is not okay for the people of God to be living like the world. We're supposed to be God's holy people. Now that may sound outdated, that may sound like some old religious thing, but that is only because of the pop theology and the church culture of the day, because it is absolutely in the Bible. I just read it. He said, these things are improper for God's holy people. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16, it says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Right. To be holy means to be set apart for God. It means to be set apart from the filth, the immorality, the uncleanness of this world. Now, some people want to say, Yeah, that holiness, you know, being holy, that's a positional thing. Well, it is a positional thing, but it's also the way you live. And I know that because in these very verses it says very plainly, put them back up, please. It says, because, listen, he says, be holy in all your conduct. It has everything to do with the way you're living. And this world, I'm telling you, We want to have an impact on this world. We want to see change come in our culture. We can gripe about it. We can rant and rail against everything and everybody else. But if we're not willing to serve God with a whole heart, we're just playing games. No, we need to get serious about this. The one who gave it all, who paid it all, what is he worthy of? He's he's deserving of a fiery love, of your passion that you would love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I think he said that somewhere. That's the way it's supposed to be. We need to put away this old casual Christianity, this comfortable religion, just when it's convenient. And I'm going to jump out here again. This happened in the first service. Y'all just got to... Bear with me because it's, it's just in my heart like a fire. And I, I'm telling you, we need to get past this casual attitude that, you know, if I feel like going to church, I'm going to go. I understand that sometimes you just can't. But I'm talking about that attitude that, you know, if I want to, I go. If I, you know, if some, maybe I will, maybe I won't. Whatever happened in America where people went to church every Sunday... You can talk about revival. You can talk about immorality in our country. But until Christians get committed and saying, unless there's just something, no way I can get there, I'm going to be in church Sunday. There are over a thousand people that have attended this church in the last six months. Not visitors. That's not talking about Visitors. Where are they? Some of you here this morning, the pattern has been, you won't be here next week. I'm challenging you in Jesus' name to make up your mind that you are going to be on fire for God. Average Christian today, if you said, are you really on fire for God? What's the honest truth? They would say, well, you know, I'm not one of those fanatics. Revelations chapter 3, Jesus talks about a lukewarm church. And he says, I wish you were either cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He doesn't want a lukewarm church. It makes him sick to his stomach. He deserves, he is worthy of, and he expects a church that is on fire. A church that is passionate about him. And that is a church that can reach the world. Not a wishy-washy, just, you know, kind of whatever. No, we got to be on fire for Jesus and in love with Jesus. That's contagious. That's infectious. And people want something like that. Something that's real. Jesus goes on. He tells that lukewarm Church. He said, everyone that I love, I rebuke. Right. So I don't, I, I don't go feel bad this morning. You, it's Revelation 3.19. He says, everyone that I love, I rebuke. That's right. And I want to tell you, he loves you. Yeah, he loves us even when we're lukewarm. He loves us. But he, he wants us to be fully committed he wants us to be on fire for him. Right. He wants us to serve him with a whole heart. To have that passion, that devotion. A love that says, here's my life. I lay it down. Not what I want, but what you want. See, a lukewarm church will never change the world. But a changed church, an on fire church, can change the world. I love what it says about the disciples in that early church. It says they turned the world upside down. Right. Let's do it once again. Amen. Let's do it once again. Good. I can tell you what would fill every church in America next Sunday. Every church in America would absolutely be filled to overflowing. We couldn't even get them all in the doors. If there's one nuclear bomb on American soil. I know what I'm saying is true. Just one, and every church in America would be packed out because all those lukewarm, complacent Christians would be in church next Sunday. In 2001, the church that we were a part of There was standing room only only on the Sunday after 9-11. And I'm telling you, it shouldn't take something like that to get the people of God to be on fire for God. We ought to be serving the Lord every day just because of all that He's done for us. He's so good to us, and we, we need to share it with the world We just can't hold it back. We just can't stay like we are. We got to be willing to change so that God can use us as the agent of change in this world. Stand with me. We're going to pray, and I'd like for our prayer partners to come.